Welcome to A Happy Place. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. Hello, I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Glad you are making us a part of your week, wherever you are in the world. Also want to thank our partner, Live Happy Magazine. Uh, The new issue is available now. Jillian Michaels on the front. All kinds of great information in there for you. We will have more on that coming up in just a moment. Want to thank our other partner, Life Reimagined. Their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. It's got all kinds of things for you to try out as you make that journey toward your peak happiness as you awaken to the power of happiness so do your dreams so what's next well find out more at lifereimagined.org slash happy and as always in this series we're joined by our co-founder coo and editorial director deborah heisen today we're looking at learning to unplug from work and all of these have been super relatable but this one especially is something that I think in today's always got to be productive, never a day for rest society is very important. And we had someone here who really wanted to tackle this issue, which is Donna Stokes, our managing editor. Yeah, Donna's fantastic managing editor. She really cares about whether the publication gets out on time. She cares about the quality of the publication to the point that she was checking her email at stoplights. So uh. <laughs> she she really wanted to take advantage of learning how to unplug. And by unplug, we mean digitally unplug. You don't always have to be connected to what you're doing 24-7. Our society has gone a direction to where we feel like our devices are more important than the people in the room. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being at Live Happy, you start to focus on things that are, maybe you're not um, – not entirely in tune with what uh, what we're preaching. And this was an area for her that she realized she needed to work on. So um, we're proud of her for tackling it. We don't really want her to work 24-7. <laughs> and, and we want her to be happier. So uh, not that she's not happy. She's a fantastically happy person anyway. But just spending more time engaged in things that are not digital um, is it really advantage for her? Absolutely. You'll see emails sometimes come in from people at, at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, and you're thinking, well, come on, you got to have some time for yourself, and, and it's it's good for her because so many people just are like, this is the way it is. That's yeah. how I have to do it. And you don't have to do it that way, and hopefully that's what uh, people can learn from this. Absolutely. Once again, Live Happy Science Editor Paula Phelps had a talk with Christine Carter, who's a sociologist and senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and author of The Sweet Spot, How to Find Your Groove at Work and Home. Christine, you're here today, and you're talking about something that I think all of us can relate to, and that is our ability or inability to unplug. And I wanted to know, first of all, when does somebody know if they're a little bit too plugged in? Well, usually our spouses and children and boyfriends and girlfriends, the people around us, start to complain. <laughs> That's, you know, at least with my coaching clients, you know, it's either um, or your em- employees, if you're a manager, you know, the people around you start to say, hey, it'd be awesome if we could just have dinner and you weren't looking at your phone sometimes, you know. So um, we, we often will get um, cues from the people around us. I have teenagers, and it's interesting how once you give them permission, they will start um, calling, calling you on it. I, I also hear a lot, you know, pe- you know if you need to unplug because you feel the compulsive pull of your devices. So, uh, you know, where 10 years ago you might have just been waiting in line at the grocery store, now you can't do it without checking your phone or your social media feeds. Um, Stoplights are a key indicator. If you can't sit at a red light without checking your phone, there's something compulsive. You might have a problem. (laughs) You might have a problem. So it's a litmus test. 
Well, but for most of us, and I'll I'll fess up and include myself in there, we think we can justify it and we do believe that, well, I need to do this because of work. I need to be in touch. So so even though you might know that you are doing it too often, mm-hmm. it's really difficult to make that leap from I'm doing this too much to here's how I'm going to stop. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's a, it's a I would question the truth of whether or not you need to be checking your phone at a red light, right? <laughs> or before breakfast or before you're out of bed or after you've come home from work, right? So thinking thinking about a generation ago where the boundaries between work and home were and if you're consistently violating those boundaries, um but you feel that you can justify it that you need to do it. Um, the first step is really to consider that it, that it might not be true. That, you know, unless you are um, an emergency room doctor and you're in the emergency room or something. I don't know. I can't even think of an example. You truly urgent kind of, kinds of jobs where you have to be plugged in 24/7. Now, you know, maybe if you're on call in some way, you do need to keep checking. But otherwise, your brain is going to send these urgent check messages. Check that phone. Check that phone. You're needed. Nobody, el- nobody else is going to um, be able to do it as well as you. Or people are going to surpass you at work <laughs> if, you don't, if you aren't the one who's the most plugged in. And, but that's really just, um, you know, those urgent messages to check are compulsive behavior. Your brain will be able to come up with really good justifications for the checking. Um, question you know, whether or not it's true. Don't believe everything you think. So, well, how do we stop doing that? Because it is very easy to start feeling, if I don't answer this text, somebody else on my team will, and then they look better than I do, or I'm going to look like I'm not keeping up. How do you, one, deal with that with your your boss, and then, two, how do you deal with that in your own head? Because that's a huge change in mindset. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, So there's a few things here. I mean, I can give you some practical steps for how to step away from your smartphone (laughs) and survive it. But the first is to know that the the end goal here is to become more productive, more effective at your work, a better team member, you know, it's for you to do better work and incidentally, to be happier while you do it, to be more joyful. Know that there is a ton of research on this that shows that people, for starters, who establish predictable time off, that's what the people at Harvard call it, um, that where they communicate with their team members and their managers and whoever they need to, that you know they're not going to check their phone during dinner time, for example. They, they're predictable to everybody else in the time off that they're going to take. Those people not only are viewed better by the people that they work with and, and are more satisfied at work, but they're also more effective on the job. Your manager is likely to think of you as being more effective. And that is because you will start to respond more thoughtfully to all the information that's coming in instead of just reacting to it. So let the rest of your team react to it, and then you be the one to give the thoughtful response that can kind of summarize all of the reactions that everybody else has had. You know, it's it's actually a highly functional 
much more effective way of operating in the world. And are you seeing us gravitate more toward understanding that, like at a corporate level? Because there was a time when we first realized, hey, we can be in touch all the time, when a lot of people and a lot of businesses felt their employees were obligated to do that, you know, to be that on call. Do you see a, a shift where they're actually realizing, hey, maybe that's too much? You know, at the corporate culture can be, you know, if my boss sends me an email on a Saturday morning, I, I really feel I'm expected to respond. And it, it's interesting because when you talk to the individuals involved, the individuals say, oh, no, 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 you never have to respond. I'm, that just happens to be time that I've carved out. So what we believe we're supposed to do and what we actually um, do sometimes don't, don't um, match up. And so I think it's really important for workplaces to clarify the expectations. What, what are the expectations? If you get, a ball, if you get an email um, at 2 a.m., are you expected to <laughs> turn it before you get to work in the morning to check, it on, to check your email on your phone before you eat breakfast? Um, what is the expectation? Now, this is a very difficult thing for managers to make themselves do because they'll say, well, I don't expect people to work more than, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, and if I say, okay, if you don't expect people to work more than 60 hours a week, what does that look like, right? Where is the predictable time off there? Right. And when they finally sort of narrow it down, um, you know, it, it can really change things for people. But, it, but, but, but the, the leaders in an organization need to be explicit about what their expectations are. And, and for those of us who might work with companies that aren't explicit, how can the individual find that out? How can they, without seeming like the person who's raising, you know, stirring things up, how do they go about finding out what those expectations are? I would, I would ask, and I would um, come at it from a, I, I want to know what is expected of me. I want to do my job well, and I know I've done a lot of research, and I know that, um, that working 24-7 is actually not the most effective way to work, but I'm afraid not to check my email before I go to bed because I'm not clear on what the expectations are. Can you be clear, please? on what the expectations are. Here's where I would like to take my predictable time off um, so that I can be more productive and more effective and do better work. Does that meet the expectations of this company? And to, to, um, to find mentors, find people who seem to have good work-life balance within your company and say, how do you manage this? What, what, in your experience, are the expectations? How do, we, um, how, do, how do we work around some of the unreasonable expectations <laughs> that aren't explicit but are implicit? And that's an excellent approach because in some cases, the individual might actually be helping the manager shape his philosophy. Is that correct? Oh, like they might absolutely. not even be thinking about it. Right. Right, or they, or if they think about it, they, they, our minds tend to skirt along the surface of this because it's a little bit like a drug. Work overwork is a little bit like a drug, and constant checking of email and and working at night. It's not necessarily that we're getting any true work done. 
Um, but we feel like we're working. And it's very scary for us to think about uh, working in a different way, which is to be much more focused while we're at work and um, spend less time on email. I mean, there's a part of our brain that, because it's an addictive behavior, feel very uncomfortable with going through that detox. And so we just, you know, most managers just won't think about it very deeply because it, because then they'll have to go through the detox. You right. Know? Right. They don't want to have to lead by example. Right, right. You can't like drag your manager into a detox program. Right? <laughs> that, it doesn't work. You have to want, you know, you have to want it yourself. And so um so it, it's a hard thing, but being you know, being really explicit, calling it like it is, um, being really open. You know, I think one strategy that doesn't work that people use is to pretend to be working when they're not, right? So there's a lack of transparency around the ways that we live our lives. And so we, because we're pretending to be working all the time, we'll... Um, you know, we'll send off a report at 9 p.m. that was finished at 2 p.m. and um, and we'll we'll check and and offer cursory responses just to indicate that we're still plugged in. And and this is um, an approach that really lacks integrity. You know, we can understand why, of course, we're doing this, mm -hmm. but um, anytime we're doing something that that lacks integrity. We're causing stress for ourselves and tension in our bodies. And so just having a policy that you're going to be really open, like the, the, the leaders in any company at any level are the ones that are totally transparent about their strategies to be effective, innovative, productive, good team members. And, and one thing that I really love about your book, The Sweet Spot, is that it gives a formula for increasing your productivity while at the same time playing more and taking breaks. And to a lot of us, that just seems counterintuitive. Like, how can I be more productive if I'm working less and playing more? So can you kind of explain to us how that works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it's a mistaken belief that our brain operates at the same level you know, in, in any given time. So, you know, our brain can be very intelligent, very creative, very um, productive if it's fed properly, slept properly, like under certain conditions, right? We know that um, different emotional states, physical states, circumstances will dramatically affect our performance and the way that our brain works. You know, the, uh, it's not like when we're working on a problem, all parts of our brain are engaged in the same way no matter what the problem is or no matter what the circumstances are. Our brain is, is infinitely complex, and, and for the most part, we don't have access to it, to all of it at all times. So when we treat ourselves in such a way that honors our natural biology and the way our brain evolved to be high, its highest performing self, to, um, you know, it, that when, we, when we're able to, to honor that, then we get much higher performance, right? We're able to do many, many more things much more quickly, and our work is high, of a higher quality. 
So we, we tend to see high performers as being like more talented, more gifted, um, more like they just have something that we don't have. And actually what we know is that the highest performers, it's really not about IQ for most people in most fields. For most people, it's about being able to drop into the zone, to find that sweet spot, to, um, to ha have the strategies that we need in order to set ourselves up to hit a home run. Now, this is not the way that we are working um, in our culture today. For, for the most part, we treat ourselves like computers. In versus, you know, the animals that we are. And right, and that's one of the things that you bring out in your book is that, that we forget that we're humans and we think that we are computers. So, so how do we correct our behavior and, and remind ourselves that, that we aren't just plugged into the wall? Right, and that we can't just run 24-7 without ever taking a break, without... Um, you know, resting, that we, we try and run multiple apps at any one given time, but our the human brain can't multitask. It can't run two apps. You know, it mm -hmm. cannot do two things at once or three things or four things. It can switch really rapidly between those things, but it takes more time for it to do that, and it's really fuel inefficient, and then it takes a lot of glucose, a lot of blood sugar, and a lot of oxygen, and it makes us really tired. And it lowers the quality of the work that we're going to do. So, um, so you know, thinking about, okay, so a computer is on all the time and it runs lots of apps at any given time. Like it has the processing power to do that. The human brain operates in cycles just like um, anything else in nature. So we have um, cycles of the year, cycles of the month, of the week, um, we're especially cued to cycles of the 24-hour sun cycle. And then in any given day, there are rhythms to everything. Our, our, with every breath, our heart rate decreases. Every exhale, it decreases. Every inhale, it increases. Like all of these things, there's a pulse. There's a rhythm to what we do. And so when we're at work, Instead of just turning ourselves on and then trying to process a lot of different things at once, we have to remember that we're a part of nature, and so we're going to do best if we um, if we produce something, we really focus, we do one thing at a time because that's what our brain can do, and then we go play, right? We have a drink of water, we have a little <laughs> snack, walk you know, the we, block, we walk around the block, um, but we let the system that was on shut down, let it cycle into a, um, a, a rest state, and then we come back at it. You know? And you know, it's a total misconception that when we're resting, nothing is happening in our brain. Mm -hmm. It's not just that we're recharging our batteries. Right? We understand the concept of a battery running down. That's another computer one. Um, but it's also not totally accurate when it comes to the human. It's not just like we're refueling. Our, our brain actually, when we're staring into space, um, just taking a break, or when we're playing, our brain actually becomes far more active than when we're, say, focusing on a really hard math problem. And um, it also, when it, we're not looking at our devices, our brains are working differently. Is that correct? It's like we're going to be more yes. creative. It's, it's giving it that rest that it, it needs. 
Yeah, and, and you know, a rest is almost a misconception. So if you're looking at your device and just sort of randomly checking your email, you're not letting your brain go into its default mode, which is the, you know, when, when you're just staring into space or you're just day, daydreaming, your whole brain will start to light up. It's like this huge network and that is responsible for all of your creative insight. So all your aha moments. Now, I mean, it's a cliche. Where do we get our best ideas? In the shower. We get them in the shower because that is the only place we can't check our devices. And we're going to figure right. out how, I'm guessing. So. <laughs> yeah, right? So, um, so that, you know, when we sort of are just daydreaming, we think nothing is happening. But, and we're not checking anything off a list. It doesn't have the satisfaction of being able to say, okay, I have no unread emails or I'm doing something right now. It doesn't have that. But, but actually our brain is making connections, lots and lots of connections between things that we didn't previously see as related. And that is our most powerful problem-solving um, mode. That's terrific. And, and, you know, when you start talking to people about this, this is really frightening. It seems impossible to like, put the, the phone away, not check emails, do things like that. It really does seem big. So can you give us some advice for, like, some baby steps that we could take today to, to start implementing some of these in, things in our lives? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing I would say is that we want to decide what we, you want to do instead of checking constantly, because um, it's not you know it's not very motivating to just will yourself not to do something. But if you give yourself something else to do instead um, of constantly monitoring your email or social media feed or anything that is nagging you for your attention. Um, and you, you choose something that feels more productive or joyful, then um, you're going to be more likely to, to spend that time. So most of my clients really want to spend more time, um, if they're at work, doing focused work, right? So mm -hmm. they want time to just think and do uninterrupted work so they can experience that sense of flow. That's very gratifying. In the end, that's going to be more gratifying than checking constantly. So, um, so that's you know that's the first decision. The, you know, at, at home, that first decision is often I, I just want to eat dinner with my family and have it be uninterrupted. I want to have I want to be more present for my kids, or I want to spend more time with my friends in which we're not also looking at our phones. Okay, so. Mm -hmm. So baby step number one is decide what you want to do instead, like what is more meaningful for you and or more productive or whatever. And um, the, the next piece of it is to not rely on your willpower. So I call this strategy hiding the bowl of candy. So imagine <laughs> that you are um, trying to eat less candy. You wouldn't carry a bowl of candy with you everywhere. You wouldn't like reach into it to turn your alarm off in the morning and then, um, and then take it with you to the bathroom and then take it with you to the breakfast table and then put it on your car dashboard and have it right <laughs> next. I mean, you would, you'd be huge, right? You'd, you'd right. be consuming sugar all day, right? So our, our, we, we aren't going to um, unwind ourselves from these devices by, through self-control because 
nobody has self-control that that is that good. So um, go back to using an old-fashioned alarm clock, and um, you know, put the put your phone in the trunk of your car while you're driving, right? Update your car's navigation system, or get get a separate one, um, and turn when you're sitting at your desk trying to focus on something, turn off all the alerts, close your email program. You, you do not need to monitor this stuff all the time. So how often should we check our emails? Because I know, gosh, we check it constantly. All and day? Yeah. <laughs> all day, so Paula? 30 seconds, what's happened? Uh, so so yeah. what, what is, is there a magic number? Yeah, there is a magic number. You know, I mean, there has there are a couple of studies. There are three studies on this, and and um, and when they have um, people who have desk jobs, office jobs, um, go from checking pretty much constantly to checking deliberately three times per day. If you're shooting for three times wow. per day, I happen to know that people in this particular study cheated a little bit and were sometimes checking five times. I don't know why they thought that the researchers couldn't tell, but they of course <laughs> can, <laughs> technology being what it is. Um, and, but what they found was that people's the tension, their physical tension went way down, their stress went way down, their sense of overwhelm went way down, which, you know, anytime you reduce what researchers call cognitive overload, you're going to really increase your performance a lot. So these people actually answered more email, and there were fewer errors in their, in their responses when they went down to just checking really deliberately a couple times a day. Wow. So I recommend um, that you pick two to three times a day in which you will check your email, but you will check it all the way. So um, you'll sit down in front of it, you'll read through everything that's in your inbox, and you will deal with every email in your inbox in one way or another. And, and you know, a lot of my clients, I just have them move, you know, an email to, like, respond on Tuesday, <laughs> respond next week, deal with this today at a later date, right? But you want to give yourself the, the, gratif the satisfaction, the gratification of getting to inbox zero because, um, because it will make you less anxious than when you come to your next email check. <laughs> so, so give yourself enough time, right? If you really need to spend five hours a day on just to get through your email because that's a part of your job, so be it. Schedule that time. Do it in three chunks. Terrific. These are such great strategies, and I think everyone out there can use at least a part of this because I think we're all dealing with this in one way or another. So uh, tell me where our listeners can go to get more information on this. You know, ChristineCarter.com, I have a free 90-day uh, coaching program running right now that's um, email and text-based. So if you want a, a structure to um, form any habit but, or to get out of the habit of checking all the time, you can get a workbook there and lots of text reminders, those kinds of things. Excellent. ChristineCarter.com. Excellent. All right. Well, I thank you so much for spending time with us today because this is a fascinating topic. I'm really excited that you could give us something that we can 
something to start out with and, and start us not checking that email quite so often. For more information on the 90 Days to a Happier You, you can check out the latest issue of Live Happy Magazine. It is on newsstands now, as well as the digital edition, which is available to you in the Apple App Store and on the Google Play Store. If there's anything you'd like to add to the discussion, feel free to do so. Reach out to us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, or on Instagram by searching my Live Happy. You can also send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For everyone at the Live Happy Now podcast, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, and remember to always live happy. <laughs>